Featuring the latest advances and current perspectives on an under-discussed but critical aspect of patient care. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. Here is your host, Dr. Maureen Willihan. There's nothing more frustrating than when you're trying to end the office visit and your patient complains of a loss of sexual desire. What do you say next? Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Critchman. Dr. Critchman is an OBGYN and is the Medical Director of Sexual Medicine at Hogue Hospital and the Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine, both located in Newport Beach, California. Dr. Critchman's clinical interests include sexual pain disorders, loss of libido, chronic medical illness, as well as breast cancer sexuality. In fact, he has published four books. The most recent is 100 Questions and Answers about Breast Cancer, Sexuality, Sensuality, and Intimacy. Today, we're discussing female sexual dysfunction and low sexual desire in women. Welcome, Dr. Critchman. Thanks for having me on the show today. So let's talk about female sexual dysfunction. How prevalent is it? What is it? Define it. Well, you know, I think it's really important to start off at the beginning in terms of understanding that female sexual problems are extraordinarily prevalent. You know, most of the studies have shown that about 43% of women at some point or other have uh, sexual complaints or problems or, you know, some concerns about what's going on in terms of their overall sexual functioning and sexual desire, arousal, or what have you. But if we look at some of the newer and recent studies, we see that there's a very big distinction between the overall prevalence and those that are complaining of distress. And I think it's really important to understand that one of the clinical challenges that most healthcare professionals face today is really trying to understand the difference between those who are, you know, just suffering from sexual problems and those that are actually distressed. And I think it's really important to understand that the most common problem is what we call HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And the prevalence really of those that are complaining and those that have actual personal distress is about 10%. So it's not an insignificant problem. We see it very often in clinical practice. And we know that if we ask the right questions to many of our female patients will really understand that, you know, female sexual problems and sexual complaints are really prevalent in our practices. What are some of the demographics of this group of women who are really distressed by sex? Well, you know, we see it really, it's very interesting. We see it really across the board in terms of overall, all women of all ages certainly can have sexual complaints. We see that it's very common in premenopausal women or those that are cycling. They have sexual complaints. It's prevalent, but we actually see a lowered level of distress. And as women age and they get more midlife, we'll see an increase in the distress that they are suffering. And that was really shown in some of the data in terms of the Preside study and other studies that were recently published. So, you know, we see different issues at different phases of a woman's life cycle. So it's important to understand, you know, sex is not only for the young, 
the mature women or women who have gone through menopause certainly have uh, sexual complaints. They certainly have HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. There's also an increase in vulvovaginal atrophy where the lowered estrogen stores certainly affect the elasticity and pliability and stretchability of the vaginal tissue, and they might have sexual pain complaints as well. So it seems in my GYN practice that the group that complains the most are between 40 and 60, which sort of go along with the hormone changes, the mood swings, the vaginal dryness. But these also seem to be the married women. And then something happens after 65 that things get a little better, especially if they have adequate lubrication and are still functioning well. Well, you know, I agree with you. I think that, you know, we might think that they're getting better, but maybe they're complaining less. This concept of this learned helplessness that, you know, this is the normative process of aging and it's normal for my libido to decrease. So, you know, we still see that it's pretty prevalent, but maybe the actual issues are this disconnect between healthcare provider and patient. You know, patients are reluctant to talk about sexual health. And, of course, healthcare providers and professionals have their own barriers to discuss those issues with the what I will call the mature woman or the menopausal woman. We still have these preconceived notions in society that older people are kind of asexual. So it's really important to kind of understand that, you know, I still think that sexual health concerns are very, very important and we need to address them, but there certainly are a variety of barriers that we must overcome. I think the barriers exist on both the patient side and the physician side. Oh, 100%. I mean, patients are reluctant to talk about sexual health issues. They feel they might be embarrassed. They might embarrass their provider. They're uncertain if there's anything that they can do about it. And it's really about this, you know, perceived area of disconnect that there's nothing that we can do about it, that I shouldn't talk about it. And as well as providers, they kind of feel that they're opening up this Pandora's box, that there's nothing that they can do about it, that's going to take lots of time. And we really understand that that's not the case. We see that if you address sexual health concerns, there certainly is a whole variety of quick interventions. There's screeners. There's, you know, simple suggestions that you can certainly address to patients that make it very, very easy and helpful in order for them to make headway in this. So I think there's this disconnect. Providers think it's going to take too long. There's nothing that they can do, and they might embarrass the patient. And patients are reluctant because of similar reasons as well. So part of why I'm excited about you know this show in particular is that this is really starting to break down some of the barriers and really open up the dialogue. Right. So for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Critchman, and we're currently discussing female sexual dysfunction and low sexual desire. So Dr. Critchman, it is amazing to me how many women simply have vaginal dryness, vaginal pain with insertion, and they just avoid sex completely when there are simple things like if they're in menopause, replacing a little bit of estrogen to the vagina, or simply selecting a lubricant that can correct the problem. So why is it that women don't even talk about something as simple as dryness? 
Well, I think it's also this very often a cultural issue. And, you know, I was involved in a survey. It was called the Reveal Survey. And it really looked at this disconnect between women's perception of themselves and how society perceives women. It's still okay in our society for man to stand up, you know, maybe at the Super Bowl and talk about his erection and his erectile strength. But this concept of women and women's sexuality is still very much a taboo topic in you know, North American culture. So there's this disconnect. And very often people believe that, you know, as you age, sex is something that dwindles with time. I'm very much an advocate. You know, there's actually a really great study that just recently came out that shows that if you're sexually active, it improves not only overall quality of life, but may actually impact longevity. So I think that, you know, in my center, we certainly see a lot of women, I think at last count, I think the oldest woman that we saw was someone who was 92. So I certainly think that hormonal drops and the effect on the tissue is paramount. And very often women will come in and they'll say, I have no sexual interest. And it's very important to screen out those that have other issues. You know, we are very concerned about ruling out depression. We're very concerned about ruling out medication effects. And we're also very concerned about ruling out what I will call, you know, the primary sexual issue, which is sexual pain. So clearly, if sex is uncomfortable and not pleasant, women will, you know, not be motivated or interested to put themselves in that kind of situation where it will be uncomfortable. So I think there's two good points there. What happens is that women seem to, so, so it hurts, but they don't tell. They don't ask for lubricants or creams or gels or products. And then they avoid the partner, so the partner doesn't quite understand. When really, if you correct this one problem, things will be better. So I think that the doctor must say, listen, you have vaginal atrophy. Although it's common in your age, it can interfere with sexual function. Are you having any painful intercourse? Something simple like that, that a doctor can say to the patient. Right. And then there's no absolute. Every patient needs to be individualized. And very often on a clinical fashion, and I know that you see it very often and we concur, very often when you're doing your physical exam, you can also look and see the signs and symptoms of vulvovaginal atrophy. There's pale, thin, dry, frail, you know, friable lining. And that's a very important segue into that. And you can say, you know, it's not uncommon that women who have atrophy may have sexual complaints. Do you? I think, you know, communication is a very important part of the overall issue and overarching issue of addressing this. Let's not forget atrophy also in the chronic birth control user, the young woman. Yeah, 100%. And it's not only that, you know, I'm sure you see it as well, you know, for women that are on chronic antihistamines because of hay fever. So there's a variety of medications as well that cause vulvovaginal atrophy or pain, as well as underlying bioneurochemical conditions, like, as you mentioned, lactation. I think it's also important to remember that sex really shouldn't hurt. But very often, in the survey that I was involved in, very often, women are still persisting in sexual intercourse for a variety of different reasons, even if it's uncomfortable. So that kind of gets back to this whole concept of that men and women engage in sexual activity for a variety of different reasons. And we need to understand the context. 
So we also need to evaluate the partner. We need to really address all these issues as well. Along with medications comes depression. So is it the depression or is it the depression medication that causes the low desire? Well, very important question. And I think, you know, that's kind of the chicken and the egg issue. Very often, you know, the constellation of symptoms go hand in hand. And we see very often that FSD is, you know, associated with depressive symptomatology. So it's very important to kind of tease those issues out. And very often people will say, yes, I have a history of depression and my mood has stabilized, but my libido still isn't there versus the woman who says, you know, it's mood related. So it might take a little more of an expertise in terms of clinical practice. And usually we see that women that have, you know, major depressive disorder and they start medication, pretty much five to six weeks after that medication is started, they will have an impact on sexual function if it's medication related. I want to thank Dr. Critchman, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing female sexual dysfunction and low desire. You've been listening to The Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening.